0: Hello, and welcome to this week's NextSense Institute podcast. My name is Trudy Smith, and I am your digital host for today. As part of our ongoing um, promotion of the Orientation Mobility Association of Australia's Symposium on the 28th of September this year, I'm really pleased to have Arvind with us, and he's one of the the keynote speakers. Welcome, Arvind. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Thank you, Trudy. Uh, Thank you for having me here. My name is Arvind Chandna. I'm a primarily a children's eye specialist, a pediatric ophthalmologist, but also an adult ophthalmologist as far as the topic we are concerned with today. And also over the last seven years, I've been exclusively doing research in cerebral visual impairment at the Smith Cattlewell Eye Research Institute in San Francisco. And I was mostly working previously at Liverpool in England at the Alderhead Children's Hospital.
0: Wow, you certainly have, have lots of scope in terms of the, of the places that you've worked. And as, as we said, you are doing the keynote presentation for us to discuss adults with cortical vision impairment, CVI. I mean, why study adults with CVI um, and, and think that there'd be any difference between adults and children? Did you find differences between the two populations?
1: Yes, I first uh, studied children with cerebral visual impairment, and I realized that as I was interviewing children, and children obviously up to the age of 18, 20, then I met adults who'd had cerebral visual impairment since childhood. And that intrigued me that these difficulties that arise, arise in childhood persist into adulthood, but they manifest in a different way, they have a different effect on the person and on the people around them as they become adults. In children with cerebral visual impairment, if they're found to have that, then lots of accommodations are made to their environment to help them. But once they go into adulthood, into what I call the big bad world, nobody adjusts for them. They don't recognize that these people can actually read down a chart properly or their visual acuity may be normal, but they're unable to manage in make sense of the world they see, or be able to navigate themselves into a visual environment. And the second thing was, as I got more interested, I realized that they were acquired cases of cerebral visual impairment, which I would call late onset, either due to a head injury or a stroke or a tumor. And these adults who had perfectly normal childhoods acquired their brain injury or brain damage later on in life and then lost these visually-guided behaviors that we are so dependent on. And the manifestation of those acquired cases was completely different than children's cerebral visual impairment. And the basic difference was that in children, the visual function that we're going to talk about never actually developed because they had the brain injury very early on in life. However, in adults, they lost the visual function that they had developed. So the children were did not did not even know that people have these visual guided behaviors, where the adults noticed the acute loss of the vision that they had developed. And so it was a different, completely different kettle of fish, is what I would call it. So that's why I was intrigued. So now I have been studying, in addition to children, I'm also studying adults who had cerebral visual impairments since early childhood and comparing and contrasting the effects that we see in adults who acquire the problem uh, later on. And that's why it's important. And above all, whether it's in children or in adults, most of the visual impairments that we're going to talk about today are invisible. They are only visible or only felt by the person who's suffering them. The world around them does not know that they have this problem because it's not obvious. And it's not obvious to sometimes to clinicians and opticians as well. So it is important that we study it, document it, assess the spectrum of visual difficulties they have, and then help them to habilitate, which is the case of children because they never developed those uh, issues, uh, the visual functions, and rehabilitate the adults. So there is a lot of work to be done, not only in assessing the condition, but also in being able to help them manage uh, the vision that they have in a visually rich environment.
0: It's, it's an ex- extraordinarily large field with, with obviously so many places that you need to begin that research. I wonder, are there differences between children with the spectrum of higher visual function difficulties and adults with similar problems? Do they have different difficulties?
1: Yes, uh, it is a very, first of all, cerebral visual repair is multi-layered. The brain has many, many areas. At the last count, there were 44 different areas where vision is dealt with. So therefore, first of all, it depends on where the damage has occurred. If the damage occurs in certain areas which are specified on a brain imaging scan or any other kind of scan, then we can predict what kind of difficulties this person might have. But you can even have these difficulties in the presence of a normal MRI brain scan. And so the differences between children and adults could be expressed in the fact that a lot of adults can express the difficulties they have. For example, in adults, we find that they have this problem about motion. So they cannot see things that are stationary, but may be able to see things that are in motion in areas of visual field that they've lost. So an adult stroke very commonly ends up with hemianopia loss of one half of the visual field. And if you keep something stationary in that visual field, they can't see it, but if something moves, they can see it. So this is a dissociation between movement and stationary. So that's very common in adults. Also, they have this phenomena in uh, conditions such as stroke, tumor, meningitis in adults, that they get this condition, which was described a long time ago, called Berlin syndrome. The Berlin syndrome is where there is nothing in their visual field, but they actually can see something. So it's like visual hallucination. They're very real, they're perfectly formed, and the adults need to be dealt with them sympathetically when they have the Berlin syndrome. The other changes that are in the manifestation of difficulties of high visual functions are the same. So if a certain area of your brain get damaged, which is called the dorsal stream or the parietal lobe area, then you have lots of difficulties in orientation or orienting yourself in space. That means you have difficulties in knowing where you are, what your environment is like, and how you're going to navigate yourself through a crowded environment. They also have difficulties with trying to see more than two things at one go. So simult agnosia. Means they can't see two things at the same time. They only have to see one thing. And if it's more than two things, they are in real difficulty because they cannot even move through a crowd or deal with a cluttered environment. These are similar as they are in children, but the manifestation of how they're expressed and how it affects their re- daily life is different because an adult is living in an adult world whereas a child is living in a children's world. So the accommodations that are required to help them rehabilitate for the adults are different. Uh, Sometimes these adults are driving, but have cerebral visual impairment or CVI and high visual function loss. And they are manifested by not being able to judge the distances, by not being, so wing mirrors get knocked off, You swerve suddenly when you see something rather than swerve, move slightly over because distance judgment is poor. Sure. And they only know this uh, by being observed by other people and saying, well, what are you doing? And the person doesn't even know that they're doing this. And if the, that's a dorsal stream deficit, motion perception, simultagnosia, inability to navigate yourself through crowded scenes or cluttered areas, then you can also have ventral stream deficits which is going from the primary visual area into the temporal area which is on the underneath the brain the temporal lobe there you get different kinds of agnosias or an inability to do things like with objects and faces so agnosia or face problems are very common not being able to recognize familiar faces not being able to recognize yourself in a photograph, not being able to certainly not recognize uh, unfamiliar faces, and being able to root-find yourself. You get lost very often. One adult told me that his default position in life is being lost, and he has to, whenever he goes back to his university room, he has to figure out where his desk is, where his chair is, where his wardrobe is, and then he recognizes his room. Gosh. And if he misplaces something, he can never find it again.
0: That, that, so that those, must, yeah, those difficulties are there. Mm-hmm. So that must um, affect them in terms of how they 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 feel or they're made to feel as they interact with the environment, as they see it, and mm-hmm. and and how people around them react. You mentioned earlier that that that. Sometimes they have the influence of CVI and sometimes not in some situations. That has to have an influence on their relationships and how they interact with the world.
1: Yes, uh, that is a very significant aspect that I have discovered in my uh, you know, discussions and interviews with adults, that they feel that though, uh, first of all, the world does not understand these invis- invisible visual impairments. And these have been known since a long time Uh, I have to give credit in 1918 to an ophthalmologist, an eye specialist called Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, his seminal paper on studying adults who had these invisible visual impairments from war injuries with bullets going into the brain into certain areas. So it could be exactly localized where the damage was. And he found these higher visual functional losses in 1918 and wrote a paper. And then since then, There have been only four or five papers, the last one by Gordon Dutton, on these higher visual function uh, difficulties. And even at that point, most of the papers mention the difficulties these adults had in social interactions and being accepted in society as having this difficulty. For example, an adult who can see perfectly down the black and white letters on an optician's chart is unable to navigate themselves on a road, avoid obstacles, cross a road, go up and down pavements, despite having near normal visual acuity. And one of the rehabilitative measures is to give them a stick to help them navigate themselves. And people are not accepting the fact that this person who could read down the observation chart is walking around with what is called a blind cane. But in effect, they are, cannot see or cannot make sense of the world around them because it's too cluttered and too crowded. And so, and then uh, there are people who told me that they have told their own family members the difficulties they're having and they introduce themselves to other people that I have a visual impairment like this, this, and this. But people actually don't think about it and approach them and deal with them as if they are perfectly sighted. So it is difficult for them. And I think there is a very important uh, aspect that we have to do is to advocate for these people and let society know that these visual impairments exist. And that starts with us as clinicians and teachers of the visually impaired and also the governmental uh, bodies that should recognize this condition and make it a registrable condition.
0: Absolutely, and and hope that things like this podcast and and your keynote raise that awareness even further. I I wonder, Avinj, what have we learned from studying the whole age spectrum of people with CVI?
1: So starting with... So we are studying children from birth till 65 years of age at least. And we are discovering, though our research project is not entirely complete, uh, and we are obviously looking for many more participants, but we have seen how difficult, first of all, it is to diagnose cerebral vision impairment. But we have developed semi-structured interviews by which we interview parents of children uh, until the age of 18 or 17, but older children answer the questionnaire themselves, and the adults obviously answer the questionnaire themselves. And we have discovered that the first of all, that the spectrum of difficulties that people have throughout the ages is different. And so, for example, in children, there may be a certain spectrum of difficulties which may or may not get better with time according to the accommodations made for that child. So then when they go into adulthood, they are left with a residual amount of difficulties. And they then have to deal with the outside world with it. But with the acquired one, where it happens in adulthood, the biggest difference is that these, the adults knew what the world was like. They were using their visually guided behavior, but they lost them. So their ability to recover those or accommodate for it is very different. However, the spectrum of difficulties is not really dependent so much on age. It is dependent on the kind of brain injury you've had. The biggest difference obviously is that in children, they never develop those visual functions, in adults, they lose them. So the most of the differences that are to be dealt with is first of all, each individual's spectrum of visual difficulties must be documented. And rehabilitation or rehabilitation should be directed at those particular difficulties. There's no one rehabilitation program. So the difference is if you ask me now, as far as I know, are going to be mostly in the accommodations or the rehabilitation or the rehabilitation we do for them. So that would be the difference. But the higher visual function loss spectrum is individual to each person, but remains overall the same throughout the ages. Either the dorsal stream deficit or ventral stream problems or both.
0: Sure. we look forward to learning so much more from you in your keynote at the symposium. Are there any other areas that you're going to be addressing at the symposium?
1: Yes, I think I'll be addressing uh, at the symposium in more detail our research, which we are analysing at the moment. I shall be able to give figures and put a much better evidence-based uh, you know, umbrella around what I'm saying uh, because we are now starting to analyze the data that we have. So I'll be able to give a much more finer, accurate picture of the higher visual function deficits. But importantly, I'll also be talking about what the adults have said. So our question is, please answer whether you have this problem, never, always, rarely, sometimes, or, and things like that. But we also have an ability to ask them, how do you actually feel? What are your difficulties in life? What is, I mean, this is a questionnaire, but what do you feel? And in free text, we note down what they say. So I'm going to be bringing to the audience actual words that the adults have said. So I think that is the learned experience of living with this condition is far better than any questionnaire or any research I can do. And that has helped me understand how people feel, Uh, what are their needs, what are their difficulties, so we can actually tailor the help that we give them or the assistance we give them according to their needs, not according to our understanding, textbook understanding of cerebral visual impairment, because that is just a name. What I want to do and hopefully take everybody with me is to listen to the person who has the condition and then make sure that we help them for the difficulties they are having, than we think they're having. And that for me has been a great learning experience.
0: I think it will be a great learning experience for all of us. I think hearing directly from the the clients themselves is incredibly powerful. And we so look forward to your presentation. Thank you for taking the time to introduce this topic. And we're aware that it was was perfunctory, but I think we've already feel like we've learned a lot and we are looking forward to hearing from you on the 28th of September. I mean, thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Thank you, truly, and thank you very much for inviting me. And I look forward to participating in a multidisciplinary way with uh, many people who are working towards this thing and learning a lot. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And the link to the symposium registration will be in the show notes. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you next time.